Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by KMT Partners. I'm Andrew Montessi. In this episode, I'm joined by Lauren Whiting, whose entrepreneurial journey began with a shoe problem. Back in 2007, Lauren couldn't find shoes big enough to fit her feet. So on a hunch that she wasn't alone, Lauren naively went about building a business, taking out a loan, renting out a store and importing shoes of many styles and sizes. With a bit of luck, she found a mentor and early customers. Word quickly spread Australia-wide, which led Lauren to launch the company online. More than a business, it was a community of people coming together around a common problem. With typical cash flow and staffing pressures, Lauren was also raising a young family. She juggled both side by side before eventually making the tough decision to shut the business down. But the story doesn't end there. On top of her physiotherapy qualification, Lauren's been studying entrepreneurship at the University of Adelaide and is getting practical with a soon-to-be-launched new startup, Lift Rehab. Lauren shares the highs, lows and lessons learned from her story. This podcast is brought to you by KMT Partners. KMT is a leading accounting and wealth management advisory firm, assisting you to emerge, renew, grow and build resilience in business, themes which are central to this podcast series. For more information, visit kmtpartners.com.au. But for now, enjoy the interview with Lauren Whiting. Lauren, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's go back to 2007. Um, by your own admission, you have fairly large feet. I do. Size uh, 13. Size 13? Yes. Wow. Finding shoes, bit of a problem. Yeah, finding shoes has always been a problem. Um, when I was 13 years old, my feet grew to a whopping size 13. Goodness. So for men, that's around a size 12. So it's not too different to men's sizing, um, but it's significant and... Um, poses lots of challenges if you would like to buy a pair of shoes feminine wow <laughs> so what did you do about it um so in 2007 i opened a, a retail store uh, we imported uh, shoes from manufacturers in europe so uh, we had a couple of manufacturers in italy and they made the larger sizes for us so they started making shoes where your normal brands would finish um they started so we we went from a size 10 up to a 15 wow. so i imported those and sold them i had a shop front it's great. So how did, I mean, it's all well and good to say the, the shoes, you know, it's hard to source shoes of that size, but mm-hmm. to then go the next step and say, hey, I'm going to build a business yep. around yep. this, like, yep. how did that come about? Um, well, to tell you the truth, it's something that probably, I'm just trying to think how old I was then, but it had been brewing for a while. So like I said, when I was 13 years old, mm. um, my feet were size 13 <laughs> and stayed that way. And um, so it was like, it was an acute pain that I felt for many years and as, yeah, not saying that men don't have the problem, but as a female, it was something that, you know, it was quite, um, it was quite upsetting. It was quite depressing going shopping. Um, and I just started talking about it to people and like from a young age saying that, you know, wouldn't it be great, you know, if I could have a shop and I'd go in there and I could pick a shoe and they'd have my size. Mm. And um, after talking about it for a long time, uh, I think I just uh, bit the bullet and just sort of thought, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Yeah. The worst thing that's going to happen is it's not going to work and it's not that bad yeah. and I'm just going to give it a go. I just felt like I had nothing to lose. Was it a bit of a case of, well, if I don't do it, no one else is going to? Yeah, it was a bit of that as well. Yeah, yeah. it was a bit of that as well. Um, and I think, I mean, you know, very selfish motivations as well. I just wanted yeah. some nice shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, why not? The, I'd, I'd imagine that the import business wouldn't be an easy easy game no no it wasn't so um I was incredibly green when 
you know, when I started all of this, which looking back actually I think worked in my favour in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I took myself along to uh, a little course run at the WEA, uh, Adult Learning Import-Export. So just sort of learnt the real basics about how to import um, products, shoes, and, uh, and then took myself off to the uh, Milan Shoe Fair, which is the biggest shoe fair around and uh, and just sort of, you know, stumbled my way through and, you know, met some nice people who were willing to help and uh, and it was actually at that first shoe fair that I met a really great contact, a, a guy who'd been in the game for, you know, 30 years based in Brisbane um, and I think he sort of could see that I had no idea what I was doing and um, his core business was importing shoes. So he wasn't a retailer, he just, um, he was a wholesaler. Anyway, and he offered to, um, you know, to put my my order on his shipping container wow, that's awesome. and um, he had a line of credit with the suppliers and all of this kind of stuff. So he, you know, he let me piggyback off his experience and uh, his relationships, which was um, amazing. And, you know, looking back was, it was just one of those things, timing was just right and it, it really, really helped. So how did you actually get started? Uh, so I did it all probably the wrong way. I leased a, a um, little shop front. Uh, went with no supplies and no idea and <laughs> nothing <laughs> and um, borrowed some money from my parents because they had full faith in what I was doing, which was great. And, uh, yeah, and then went to the shoe fair, put in an order and, uh, and sort of worked back from there and, uh, and just, yeah, just took it as it came. So it's a really. massive risk. Putting in an order, do you remember what the amount was that you had to... Oh, it was something like, I don't know, $40,000, $50,000. Jeez. Yeah, so it was... That's um, a fair risk. Yeah, it just didn't feel like it at the time and probably still now, I, you know, because people have said, well, you know, if you if you were to do this again, I mean, knowing what I know now, I would definitely, there would be different, you know, I'd be much smarter to what I was doing. Um, but, you know, it was a, I don't know how else I would have learnt it. You know, I had yeah. no experience in shoes. I'd worked in retail before, not in fashion retail, in, you know, food. Uh, but, yeah, it was, I don't know, I just sort of thought, well, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. You know, I have to do it. I have so, to take the risk. So $40,000 worth of stock yep. rocks up. Yep. And now you've got to sell it. Yep, yep. So I remember day one, actually my husband reminds me of this a lot. You know, he said that I, I walked off that first day to, you know, open my new shoe shop and he just thought, you know, how do you even, like, do you even know what you're doing, Lauren? Do you know even how to put a sale through? And um, I don't know. I Again, just sort of bumbled my way through a little bit. But um, we were lucky enough to get a little bit of... Um, uh, press that that day or a couple of days before just in the local paper and I think you know it's such a niche product and you know that was the only little, that was the only bit of marketing that had happened to that point and um, you know we had people turning up when the doors opened and and you know made sales on the first day and it was it was great it was a really good feeling so you remember that moment of that first sale I do I remember my first customer I remember my second customer it was um, yeah no it's all it's very vivid <laughs> So did it? How did it grow from there? I, I mean, I assumed that you moved that forty thousand dollars worth of, of stock, and then what was the next step? Um, so more orders. Um, you know, we established our suppliers um, a bit more over over that first sort of twelve months, and started to get some feedback from our customers. So obviously, when I was placing orders initially, I didn't really know who our customer was. You know, I had a, I was you know basing it on just some very vague. You know, guesses about what people wanted, and yourself, your and myself, experience. definitely myself. Um, but like I said, I'd never worked in shoes, and I didn't understand. You know, even size runs 
how many am I going to need of this size? You know, how many people are going to come in asking for wide fittings or narrow fittings or all of these other little quirks with people's feet that I had, mm. I had just no idea of. So, you know, there's a, there was a bit of stock and I can still remember the styles, styles that they were lovely, but they didn't move, you know. So that first order wasn't, mm. it was, you know, wasn't great. Um, but I learned very quickly what people were after and was able to, um, you know, customise our orders in, in line with what people were asking for, which was good. Um, yeah, so what came next was um, staff. So I had a few staff on the on the you know first day who were part time workers for me. One of them was my sister, and um, but we sort of moved into having other people helping out with the store. And the other thing that happened quite quickly was the online side of um, our business. So back in two thousand and seven, online shopping was not really that prevalent, particularly shoes. And um, we built a very clunky but still functional website just using PayPal and. Uh, because we had people calling us from, you know, different places. So we had the website and then people found the website. People calling us from around Australia saying, you know, um, do you have a shop in, you know, Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever? And we didn't, but we worked out that we could sell the shoes online and that these that these customers would, would purchase online. I would, I would imagine that a company with such a, a niche would do really well in, in the online space in the early yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was it was probably something we were probably a little bit ahead of – you know people's um, tolerance with with online shopping. I mean, now you talk about online shopping, and we just don't even think twice about it. But um, back back then, you know, there was. I mean, I think the benefit we had is that the people who were looking at, at buying our products, our customers, they were really desperate, like really desperate, and so they were willing to take that risk. I think if we were servicing a, a normal sort of you know normal uh, population, it, you know, it wouldn't have been maybe as successful. I mean, just to just to um, divert a little bit. Some of our customers, just to give you an idea about the desperation, um, remember one lady came in, so she had size 13, same as me, and uh, she was, you know, 20, 30 years older than I am. And she was saying that when she was my age, she actually, she was a nurse, she had a nursing background, she worked in a hospital, she approached an orthopaedic surgeon to um, surgically shorten her toes so that she would have a smaller foot so that she could get into shoes. Oh I mean, that's just one example. There are just, I mean, the number of stories that people would start telling me about how they'd gotten around this problem. So when I talk about people being desperate, it's yeah. not just, you know, it's not flipping. I want a pretty pair of shoes. It's actually, like, it's, it's quite a bit deeper than that. So yeah. it, was, um, it was going back to the online side of things. I think that that, that definitely worked in our favour because people were willing to take more risks on online shopping and also you know the fit because it can be quite difficult to mm. gauge that from a website so um that was our entry into online and and i guess at its peak how how big did the business get from i don't know what what numbers you can give us from for context but a, a revenue or a staff size um staff wise so it started with me and my sister and i ended up having five staff mm. By the time we finished, just to give you a bit more of an idea, though, so the first three years we had the um, retail outlet, mm-hmm. bricks and mortar type setup, uh, with the online alongside it. After three years, I closed the shop front and just continued doing mm-hmm. online. So I had it all online, and by that stage, we'd probably gone through maybe our fourth iteration of our website. Um, and it was a lot lot smoother then. And also things had, you know, moved along a fair bit as far as um, platforms to sell online and so forth. Yeah. Okay. So you had – so was that like a warehouse set up with a team? Yep. Warehouse or is a – slash bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, shed. Lovely yep. shed out the back of the property. So we actually – we bought a <laughs> – 
we bought um, the house that we're currently in, we bought while this was all happening. And um, when I was telling my husband what we needed, I said, we need a house, but we also need, you know, like a second area separate from the house, which is going to be the warehouse. And so that sort of, that was one of the criteria when we were looking to buy our place. And um, yes, we had a little, little warehouse out the back and... uh, had the whole set up there with the, you know, the computer and so forth and the, took all the orders out there and the phone and, yeah, so just moved it all all home. But that was – and that coincided also with um, family changes and family commitments. Okay. So you so you were able to juggle the family life with the business to, to what extent? To a degree, yeah. So when I opened the business, um, I had no children and then – after 18 months, my son was born. 18 months again after that, my daughter was born. And then two and a half years later, my third child. So, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the business sort of um, child number one and two, I had the, the, the bricks and mortar shop front. Mm-hmm. And that became tricky uh, because you needed, you know, I needed to front up mm-hmm. and, you know, do bits and pieces and people need to see what I look like and <laughs> all of that kind of thing. Um but then, uh, you know, when we did move to having the online business and, and close the, the, um, the shop front, it did get a little bit easier. Um, I would say that probably it was a lot more stressful because, you know, it's, you know, you're never, you're never away from work mm. and the phone is there all the time and the kids were there all the time as well. So it was tricky and I think, you know, with the help of, you know, family and, and my husband, we, you know, we did manage to juggle it reasonably well. Um, but, you know, I can remember times where... You know, the three kids were, because my son hadn't started kindy yet, so I had them all at home. And I'd have, you know, the phone would ring, my um, business phone, and, you know, I'd have these ladies, and these were really great customers of mine who I'd sort of developed relationships with. Um, but, you know, they'd ring up from interstate and they wanted to put an order through, you know, like it was a couple of thousand dollars, you know, um, and that often this would sort of be how they would purchase. Um, but, you know, I'd have kids sort of screaming, screaming or, you know, pulling up my leg and I'd be grabbing the chocolate biscuits out of the cupboard and just ditching them down the hallway so they'd go and, you know, just move away from me. And this is, I mean, not a joke. It's exactly what I used to do. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's not ideal. And it's not the way that you would necessarily want to run your business. And like I said, stress-wise, it was, you know, you, you felt like you weren't giving your business all you wanted to give. You weren't giving your kids all you wanted to give. But it was, there wasn't another way. Um, and getting staff in at that point to do all of those jobs was was also not sort of the way I wanted to go. So was it a tension of trying to do it all yourself and not really being able to do both properly and what not not necessarily having the revenue or supply to be able to sustain a team? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, looking back to <laughs> that period of time, you know, with GFC and all of this kind of stuff, probably wasn't the best time to be starting mm. a business. And retail, I think, is notoriously tricky and, and quite a difficult space to be in. Um, but, yeah, it was. It was just that, that time commitment. And like I said, we did have staff and staff, they were good to a point. Um, but I think also in retail, a lot of people see a retail job as a transient interim you know they're at uni or they're doing something else it's just a way of earning a bit of cash so um that wasn't all of our staff but you know there were a couple I can think of and it was just you know you're you're managing staff then and you're thinking well you know what I may as well just be doing this myself um yeah I don't know it was it was it was tricky it was a tricky balance yeah so you came to a point where you did shut the business down yeah yeah. what what was the thinking behind behind that at the time I think the thinking behind that was um I mean, something had to give and it was either get, you know, go down that staff route um, and get them to sort of manage all of those things uh, or, you know, just give in to the fact that having three young children and trying to run a business was really quite tricky 
And so uh, I, I contemplated selling the business and we had a couple of people who were interested in buying it. Um, but then I sort of, a part of me thought, well, and because I think probably as well, I was very, and I know I was, you know, very, um, you know, emotionally involved in the business. It was, it was like another child to me. And so the thought of um, selling the business and giving over all of those things, I just... I just didn't want to do it okay. and I suppose at the time I thought maybe this maybe I'll re- reboot this you know I'll put it on ice and let the kids get a little bit older and then see what I want to do reflecting on that now um probably not I've got my lovely supply of shoes and um retail is probably not something I want to get back mm. into at the moment but yeah so maybe just elaborate on the emotional side of I guess letting the business go yeah well, I think it's um you know you you do put your you know blood, sweat and tears into it and the, you know, the, the amount of time you put into it and all those things. But obviously, you know, my motivation for getting into that business particularly was very personal. And like I was mentioning before, you know, some of these stories that you'd hear from these women, um, you know, you're really connected with them. It sounds bizarre, but, you know, it was <laughs> – we almost, you know, often when we had the shoot, like had the actual shop, you know, it was almost like a little support group with customers because they, they didn't know each other, but they'd come in and start telling their stories to each other mm. and it was this real little family. And so there was, there was a part of it which – and I hadn't expected any of that, but there was a part of it which, you know, was very – you know, there was a little community mm. and um, and I did have a real connection and a real passion for that, you know, the, the product that I was selling mm. and, and the um, the cause. So, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And so you're a qualified physiotherapist. At yes. what point – so did the physio qualifications, was that pre-shoes? Yeah, yeah, okay. that was pre-shoes. So, um, like I said, I'd sort of – I'd thought about this, you know, this idea of the shoe business when I was quite young and then – had gone into physiotherapy from school, did my degree. And um, so when I had the business, I worked part-time as a physio alongside this. And I suppose that's always been my my plan B, my backup and a bit of a, a safety net. So when I was first starting the business, having um, – and I wasn't working. I'm just trying to remember how many hours I was doing as a physio. It wasn't a whole heap. Maybe, I don't know, 10 hours a week or something like that. A bit of stability. But it was a little bit of cash flow, yeah. And it just it just gave us a bit of breathing space and, um, yeah, and that cash flow to feel confident enough to, you know, take a few risks and make a few mistakes and, you know, spend money on things and some of them worked and some of them didn't. Mm-hmm. But not feeling so paralysed because of, you know, lack of cash flow um, that, that we couldn't sort of experiment a little bit in those early days. And also maintaining those skills so that... Definitely. You know, when you did complete the yep. the story of the, yep. the shoe store to then be able to return to it. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's something that physio is a great career for. Um, it really lends itself to part-time work. You know, a lot of physios do burn out because, of, um, because physically it's demanding. So mm. to, to work full-time is, um, yeah, it is, it's hard. And doing part-time suited me from that point of view. And also, yeah, like you just mentioned, a really good um, fallback position. It's something I really enjoy as well and I've always had a passion for that. Um, but yeah, it's just—it's nice knowing that you can try something and still have something else, which you know, especially in health, quite stable. And you know, there are plenty of jobs around. And now you're drawing on those physio skills for a, a new business, Lift. Exactly. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. So um, yes, I've been here at Adelaide Uni doing some study in innovation and entrepreneurship, and as part of that. Um, I mean, the course has been very applied and so there have been a lot of opportunities to explore different business ideas um, and use those in the different subjects that um, we've been required to do. And out of um, a few of those, um, the idea for a rehab centre focused around cancer uh, came up and um, 
through sort of the major project that I needed to do uh, for the study, I worked up you know a, a more detailed business plan, and uh, that's something that I've decided to to action now. So yeah, coming very much coming full circle. <laughs> and this is. And this is based around mind and body. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So looking looking at the services that um, this population um, are going to benefit from, yeah, in, in the areas of exercise and, you know, body physio mm-hmm. and psychological wellness, if you like. Yeah, and so and you're working with a psychiatrist, is that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, so a colleague who's a psychiatrist is coming on board with me and uh, as a business partner and um, planning to launch next year. Awesome. Mm. So it's quite interesting because... We often think about school projects and business projects and it's something that you make up, you never do anything about. Yep. It's just purely for the grade. So this is a project that has evolved into a real business. Definitely, yeah, yep. yeah. And I think um, I think I probably knew when I started the project that it was going to, you know, it might have legs and might turn into something a little bit more. And um, so I think it was probably some of my best work because I had maybe something a little bit more at stake than, than the grades. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I mean, some of the other projects that I did maybe were a little bit more in that category where it was more just to, you know, go through the motions. But, um, yeah, but this one has definitely been uh, been a bit more important and I've paid particular attention to it. <laughs> Interesting with entrepreneurship is that um, I guess the perception is that you would learn about it by doing, yes. by your mistakes, yes. as you've spoken about, with, yep. you know, your shoe business and yep. so forth. How, how do you apply it in an academic sense? Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. I think um, for someone like myself who – so I've approached the study from the perspective of actually already having done, you know, something. Um, I think they're two different things, but, I mean, they do sit alongside each other. So I found it really interesting. The The course is teaching us, you know, what the academic literature is, you know, saying about this, that and the other and, and theories around entrepreneurship and innovation and so forth. Um, and I think it's really interesting to understand that um, – at a, at a deeper level, I agree exactly with what you've said. Though you know, learning by doing, I think, is one of the best ways of of learning and you know, remembering. Um, but yeah, it's been interesting. the The people who have been involved in teaching us, generally speaking, have been people who have worked in businesses, and so they do have. Um, they've got that on the ground sort of understanding about how things actually really work and how theory doesn't always translate mm. to practice. So it's, so so it's, it's a, a good pra- balance. practical kind of Yeah. Well, course. it's called an applied... The one that okay. I'm doing is called an applied master's. So like I was mentioning before, a lot of the, the project work and the assessment items are, are more on the applied you know, um, side of things as opposed to being academic. Mm. Um, I think there is an avenue if you wanted to go in, into academia and, you know, go down a PhD or whatever. But um, for myself, it's, you know, I've wanted to do this to bone up a little bit and mm. sort of, um, you know, understand more around maybe what I, you know, mm. what happened first time around. Um, it's also been something my youngest is, you know, still at home with me. She starts kindy next year. So the idea from my point of view was actually to, you know, just get back into this space a bit while I was waiting mm-hmm. for my kids to just get a little bit older. Um, and so that's what, yeah, that's what I've been doing over the last couple of years. So in your view, can entrepreneurship be learned or is it is it more kind of Ugh. gut, you know, like you're kind of born with it? Oh. I mean, and it's a philosophical based question. on based on purely my own thoughts. Um, I think it's probably a bit of a combination, but I definitely think there's something, and I don't know if it's like a personality type, or not personality type, but you know, characteristics around the person who's doing it. Um, I think 
the reason that I feel comfortable with maybe the, you know, like you spoke about before, you know, the risk in buying those shoes or whatever, both of my parents have worked for themselves. Not, And you wouldn't necessarily call them entrepreneurs, but they've they've been self-employed for as long as I can remember. So I suppose I've grown up in an environment where I've been told there's always a way to do something. You've just got to find out yeah. what that way is. And so my, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of my, you know, in my head all the time thinking, well, you know, this is what I want to do. There'll be a way to do it. I've just got to work mm. out how to do it. Whereas I suppose, you know, other people might have, you know, grown up in a different environment where, you know, that sort of appetite or, or you know, um, level of comfort with uncertainty is, is not there. Um, mm. So I think there's definitely an ele- element of it which is something whether, you know, may, yeah, not necessarily born with, but maybe it's just, mm. you know, around you modelling it on something mm. or do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you've just come from a, a gruelling mentoring session prior, yes, I have. prior to this <laughs> interview. How important has mentoring been for you throughout your journey? Mentoring's been wonderful actually and um, – after my first year in business, I was lucky enough to be accepted into a program which is still run through Business SA called the South Australian Young Entrepreneurs Scheme and that was brilliant and that um, that was my introduction into mentoring really and the mentor that I was allocated back then I still am in touch with and you know he still mentors me informally you know mm-hmm. with, with what I'm doing. Uh, I think it's wonderful to have different perspectives on what you're doing and, you know, having other people who can challenge your thinking and uh, maybe make you look at a problem from a different angle I think is invaluable and it's, yeah, I think, I think it's a great, great part of, um, you know, doing your own business is getting out there and talking to some other people who have had experiences that are the same but are very different. So I guess reflecting on, on your journey, what are some of the key lessons uh, from your early years that you'll apply um, to your new business? Um, key lessons, that's a really hard question, but I think probably, like I sort of alluded to before about, you know, that emotional connection. I think it's really important to be mm. passionate about what you're doing, but maybe more definitely, I know this time around, I've taken a, a step back, so there's less of that, you know, personal element. Mm-hmm. And that's purely on a, you know, just to stay a little bit more pragmatic about everything and mm. um, a little bit more black and white. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that. I mean, there are there are little there are little lessons in relation to a lot of mm. lot of things that I couldn't sort of sum up. Well, well, maybe how have you evolved from from the? I'm a lot wiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just learned to ask exactly what I what I want from people, and I think you know probably in those early early days of, of having my own business, and I was a lot younger and you know hadn't done it before. It was all I was just all learning on the spot. Um, I was probably a little bit more apologetic for, for different things and, you know, when I was dealing with other people. But now I've just – I've got the attitude of, you know, in a nice way, just asking exactly what I, you know, need from people and generally they they give it to you. So that's been a, probably a big lesson. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your story and some of the highs and lows. No worries. All the best with the new business. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to our interview with Lauren Whiting. Head of the Game brings you real business stories that will inspire and help you grow. Please subscribe to our show and to find out more, visit kmtpartners.com.au. At our website, you can also find out more about KMT's accounting and wealth advisory services, supporting individuals, their families and their businesses with accounting, business management, growth, compliance and advisory services. 
get in touch at kmtpartners.com.au.